Part three of Part six of Trilby. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by J. C. Guan. Trilby by Georges du Maurier. Part six. Part three. The applause had at last subsided. Trilby stood with her hands behind her, one foot, the left one, on a little stool that had been left there on purpose, her lips parted, her eyes on Zvengali's, ready to begin. He gave his three beats, and the band struck a chord. Then, at another beat from him, but in her direction, she began, without the slightest appearance of effort, without any accompaniment whatever, he still beating time, conducting her, in fact, as if she had been an orchestra herself. Au clair de la lune, mon ami Pierrot, prête-moi ta plume pour écrire un mot. Ma chandelle est morte, je n'ai plus de feu. Ouvre-moi ta porte pour l'amour de Dieu. This was the absurd old nursery rhyme with which Lasvengali chose to make her debut before the most critical audience in the world. She sang it three times over, the same verse. There is but one. The first time she sang it without any expression whatever, not the slightest, just the words and the tune in the middle of her voice, and not loud at all just as a child sings who is thinking of something else, or just as a young French mother sings who is darning socks by a cradle and rocking her baby to sleep with her foot. But her voice was so immense in its softness, richness, freshness, that it seemed to be pouring itself from all round, its intonation absolutely, mathematically pure, one felt it to be not only faultless, but infallible. And the seduction, the novelty of it, the strangely sympathetic quality. How can one describe the quality of a peach or a nectarine to those who have only known apples? Until Lesvengali appeared, the world had only known apples. Catalanis, Jenilins, Chrysis, Abonis, Patis the best apples that can be for sure, but still only apples. If she had spread a pair of large white wings and gracefully fluttered up to the roof and perched upon the chandelier, she could not have produced a greater sensation. The like of that voice has never been heard, nor ever will be again. A woman archangel might sing like that or some enchanted princess out of a fairy-tale. Little Billy had already dropped his face into his hands and hid his eyes in his pocket-handkerchief. A big tear had fallen onto Taffy's left whisker. The laird was trying hard to keep his tears back. She sang the verse a second time, with but little added expression, and no louder, but with a sort of breathy whitening of her voice that made it like a broad heavenly smile of universal motherhood turned into sound 
one felt all the genial gaiety and grace of impishness of pierrot and columbine idealized into frolicsome beauty and holy innocence as though they were performing for the saints in paradise a baby columbine with a cherub for clown the dream of it all came over you for a second or two a revelation of some impossible golden age priceless never to be forgotten how on earth did she do it little billy had lost all control over himself and was shaking with his suppressed sobs little billy who hadn't shed a single tear for five long years half the people in the house were in tears but tears of sheer delight of delicate inner laughter then she came back to earth and saddened and veiled and darkened her voice as she sang the verse for the third time and it was a great and sombre tragedy too deep for any more tears and somehow or other poor columbine forlorn and betrayed and dying out in the cold at midnight sinking down to hell perhaps was making her last frantic appeal it was no longer pierrot and columbine it was marguerite it was faust it was the most terrible and pathetic of all possible human tragedies but expressed with no dramatic or histrionic exaggeration of any sort but mere tone slight subtle changes in the quality of the sound too quick and elusive to be taken count of but to be felt with oh what poignant sympathy when the song was over the applause did not come immediately and she waited with her kind wide smile as if she were well accustomed to wait like this and then the storm began and grew and spread and rattled and echoed voice hands feet sticks umbrellas and down came the bouquets which the little page boys picked up and trilby bowed to front and right and left in her simple debonair fashion it was her usual triumph it had never failed whatever the audience whatever the country whatever the song little billy didn't applaud he sat with his head in his hands his shoulders still heaving he believed himself to be fast asleep and in a dream and was trying his utmost not to wake for a great happiness was his it was one of those nights to be marked with a white stone as the first bars of the song came pouring out of her parted lips whose shape he so well remembered and her dove-like eyes looked straight over Svengali's head straight in his own direction nay at him something melted in his brain and all his long-lost power of loving came back with a rush it was like the sudden curing of a deafness that had been lasting for years the doctor blows through your nose into your eustachian tube with a little india rubber machine some obstacle gives way there is a snap in your head and straightway you hear better than you had ever heard in all your life almost too well and all your life is once more changed for you at length he sat up again in the middle of zlasvengali's singing of the nussbaum and saw her 
and saw the laird sitting by him, and Taffy. Their eyes riveted on Trilby, and knew for certain that it was no dream this time, and his joy was almost a pain. She sang the Nussbaum, to its heavenly accompaniment, as simply as she had sung the previous song. Every separate note was a highly finished gem of sound, linked to the next by a magic bond. You did not require to be a lover of music to fall beneath the spell of such a voice as that. The mere melodic phrase had all but ceased to matter. Her phrasing, consummate as it was, was as simple as a child's. It was as if she said, See, what does the composer count for? Here is about as beautiful a song as was ever written with beautiful words to match, and the words have been made French for you by one of your smartest poets. But what do the words signify any more than the tune, or even the language? The Nussbaum is neither better nor worse than mon ami Pierrot when I am the singer, for I am Svengali, and you shall hear nothing, see nothing, Think of nothing but Svengali, Svengali, Svengali. It was the apotheosis of voice and virtuosity. It was il bel canto, come back to earth after a hundred years, the bel canto of Vivarelli, let us say, who sang the same song every night to the same king of Spain for a quarter of a century, and was rewarded with a dukedom, and wealth beyond the dreams of avarice. And indeed, here was this immense audience, made up of the most cynically critical people in the world, and the most anti-German, assisting with rapt ears and streaming eyes at the imagined spectacle of a simple German damsel, a mädchen, a Fraulein, just verlobte, a future Hausfrau, sitting under a walnut-tree in some suburban garden, a Berlin, around her. Her family and her friends probably drinking beer and smoking long porcelain pipes and talking politics or business and cracking innocent, elaborate old German jokes with bated breath, lest they should disturb her maiden dream of love, and all as though it were a scene in Elysium, and the Fraulein a nymph of many fountains either, and her people Olympian gods and goddesses. And such indeed they were when Trilby sang of them. After this, when the long frantic applause had subsided, she made a gracious bow to the royal British opera glass, which had never left her face, and sang Ben Bolt in English. And then, Little Billy remembered there was such a person as Vingali in the world, and recalled his little flexible flageolet. That is how I teach Gecko. That is how I teach La Bedite Honorine. That is how I teach Il Bel Canto. It was lost, Il Bel Canto, and I found it in a dream. I, Vingali. And his old cosmic vision of the beauty and sadness of things, the very heart of them, and their pathetic evanescence came back with a tenfold clearness, 
that heavenly glimpse beyond the veil, and with it a crushing sense of his own infinitesimal significance by the side of the glorious pair of artists, one of whom had been his friend, and the other his love. A love who had offered to be his humble mistress and slave, not feeling herself good enough to be his wife. It made him sick and faint to remember, and filled him with hot shame, and then and there his love for Trilby became as that of a dog for its master. She sang once more, Chanson de Printemps, by Gounod, who was present and seemed very hysterical and the first part of the concert was over, and people had time to draw breath and talk over this new wonder, this revelation of what the human voice could achieve, and an immense hum filled the hall, astonishment, enthusiasm, ecstatic delight. But our three friends found little to say, for what they felt there were as yet no words. Taffy and the laird looked at little Billy, who seemed to be looking inward at some transcendent dream of his own, with red eyes, and his face all pale and drawn, and his nose very pink and rather thicker than usual, and the dream appeared to be out of the common, blissful, though his eyes were swimming still. For his smile was almost idiotic in his rapture. The second part of the concert was still shorter than the first, and created, if possible, a wilder enthusiasm. Trilby only sang twice. Her first song was Malbrook s'en va en guerre. She began it quite lightly and merrily, like a jolly march, in the middle of a voice which had never as yet revealed any exceptional compass or range. People laughed quite frankly at the first verse. Malbrook s'en va ton guerre, Mironton, Mironton, Mirontaine. Malbrook s'en va ton guerre, ne sait qu'on reviendra, ne sait qu'on reviendra, ne sait qu'on reviendra. De Mironton, Mirontaine was the very essence of high martial resolve and heroic self-confidence. One would have left a forlorn hope after hearing it once. Il reviendra à Pâques, Mironton, Mironton, Mirontaine. Il reviendra à Pâques ou à la Trinité. People still laughed, though the Mironton, Mirontaine betrayed an uncomfortable sense of the dawning of doubts and fears, vague forebodings. La Trinité se passe, Mironton, Mironton, Mirontaine. La Trinité se passe, Marbot ne revient pas. And there, especially in the Mironton Miroten, a note of anxiety revealed itself, so poignant, so acutely natural and human, that it became a personal anxiety of one's own, causing the heart to beat, and one's breath was short. Madame Massatour remonte, Mironton, Mironton, Mirontaine, Madame Massatour remonte, si haut qu'elle peut monter. Oh, how one's heart went with her! Anne, sister Anne, do you see anything? Elle voit de loin son page, Mironton, Mironton, Mirontaine. Elle voit de loin son page, tout de noir habillé. 
one is almost sick with the sense of impending calamity. It is all but unbearable. Mon page, mon beau page, Mironton, Mironton, Mirontaine, Mon page, mon beau page, Quelle nouvelle apporter. And here, Little Billy begins to weep again, and so does everybody else. The Mironton Mironten is an agonized wheel of suspense. Poor bereaved Duchess, poor Sarah Jennings, did it all announce itself to you just like that? All this while the accompaniment had been quite simple, just a few obvious ordinary chords. But now, quite suddenly, without a single modulation or note of warning, down goes the tune, a four-major third, from E to C, into the graver depths of Trilby's great contralto, so solemn and ominous that there is no more weeping, but the flesh creeps, the accompaniment slows and elaborates itself, the march becomes a funeral march, with muted strings and quite slowly. Aux nouvelles que j'apporte, Mironton, Mironton, Mirontaine, Aux nouvelles que j'apporte, Vos beaux yeux vont pleurer. Richer and richer grows the accompaniment, The Mironton, Mirontaine becomes a dirge. Quittez vos habits roses, Mironton, Mironton, Mirontaine, Quittez vos habits roses et vos satins brochés. Here, the ding-donging of a big bell seems to mingle with the score, and very slowly, so impressively, that the news will ring forever in the ears and hearts of those who hear it from Lasvengali's lips. Le sieur Malbrook est mort, Mironton, Mironton, Mirontaine, Le sieur Malbrook est mort, est mort et enterré. And thus it ends quite abruptly. And this heart-rending tragedy, this great historical epic in two dozen lines, at which some five or six thousand gay French people are sniffling and mopping their eyes like so many niobes, is just a common old French comic song, a mere nursery ditty, like little Bo Peep, to the tune. We won't go home till morning, till daylight doth appear. And after a second or two of silence, oppressive and impressive as that which occurs at a burial where the handful of earth is being dropped on the coffin lid the audience bursts once more into madness and las vengari who accepts no encores has to bow for nearly five minutes standing amid a sea of flowers then comes her great and final performance the orchestra swiftly plays the first four bars of the bass in chopin's impromptu a flat and suddenly, without words, as a light nymph catching the whirl of a double-skipping rope, Las Vengali breaks in and vocalizes that astounding piece of music that so few pianists can even play, but no pianist has ever played it like this. No piano has ever given out such notes as these. Every single phrase is a string of perfect gems, of purest ray serene, strung together on a loose golden thread the higher and shriller she sings the sweeter it is higher and shriller than any woman had ever sung before end of part three part six recording by j c guan montreal july two thousand and ten